0: At Van Houten, and each week I'm here with Brian Buck, lead pastor at Oaks Parish, to go a little deeper into Sunday Sermon and to keep the conversation going throughout the week as we journey together in learning what it means to abide in Christ for the renewal of all things. So let's dive in. back to the Oaks Parish podcast. Brian and I are here and we typically have this conversation earlier in the day, but we got to enjoy some extra time with the other members of our staff team today doing some work together to strengthen our team and understand each other better. So we're recording a little bit later in the day and I've just been excited for this conversation all day. So at the beginning of yesterday's sermon, Brian, you took us through sort of an evolution of telecommunications. So I'm curious, when did you get your first cell phone and do you remember what it was?
1: Yeah, maybe it was because first Samuel chapter three was uh, so immersed in communication between Eli and Samuel and God and Israel that I was just naturally thinking a lot about communication. But to answer your question, I got my first cell phone my senior year of college It was a small black brick with numbers on it. And that was it. And I primarily used it so that I could call Amanda. We were dating at the time. And it was one of those plans that was early on in the technological revolution of cell phones, where I only had like 400 minutes a month. So I was always... Nervous and anxious about my minute management, as we talked on the phone. Maybe that's akin to um, electric vehicle owners, you know, <laughs> experiencing anxiety around their their charge status. So, yeah, that was that was my first cell phone. What what about you?
0: <laughs> I, I first of all, I I like that story. That's a great story, and I can see that. I mean, if you were talking for I mean were you guys talkers like could you talk for an hour or more
1: oh yeah at a time oh, so oh, yeah. what is
0: that like four or five conversations then
1: yeah and I think when I think and I think when I would check on it and find that I was getting close or or that I had went over then it was like back to the landline or back to the payphone.
0: Okay. Okay. So you had <laughs> other options but it was like the convenience and the versatility of it just being able to talk while you're wandering wandering campus or...
1: That's right. Otherwise, I'm talking on the landline with my roommate in the room.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which, you know, couldn't kick him out, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I got my first cell phone. I think I was a senior in high school, probably 2004, 2005. I don't know, not long before I went off to college. My parents, I think, figured I'd probably need one when I went away. And there was some sort of family plan that they just added another one on a little early. Um, It was just a very basic... Samsung flip phone. I think, I think a lot of people had, had that one. You could take a couple of pictures, choose from a couple of ringtones. And then I remember having to like, learn how to text. Like that wasn't <laughs> a skill, like that was a new skill to develop. Right. Yes. Especially early on when it was like three times for the M or whatever it was, you know, like however many times you'd have to click for each letter. But it was probably still 50-50, even with classmates that actually had one. So I don't think I used it as much as I like held on to it and just felt the weight of it in my hands. Yes. <laughs> and, like recognized that I was among the ones lucky enough to have a cell phone.
1: <laughs> a ring, a ring of power.
0: A ring, yeah, exactly. And I can remember too listening to like uh ringtones for hours, the ones for purchase. Oh yeah, feeling like it was a really big decision to like buy a real song (laughs) that might potentially ring out really loud, you know, in the middle of a class or church or coffee shop or whatever it was. And like, how do you want to represent yourself? Is it going to be Britney Spears? Is it going to be Coldplay? What's it going to be? And it's so funny because now we keep our phones just on like vibrate or silent all the time. And if we hear a ringtone, it's like an affront to us. Yes, we like are like what? Who's who's that?
1: What's going? Yes, to? especially if it's one of those songs by one of those artists,
0: <laughs> particularly Britney Spears or Coldplay. You think? Those
1: are- yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good education in the process of or the progress of cellular devices. So thank yeah, it felt felt like that
1: ride at Disney World, uh, carousel of progress. You know, you're walking (laughs) back through time, remembering these various stages of our technological evolution. Right,
0: right. Well, before we dive in further, I do want to highlight something that's coming up this Sunday at church, and that's our November social hour. So after the service, the kids all follow their noses to the smell of donuts in the fellowship hall, and we have coffee. And everyone gets a chance to connect. It's very casual. And about once a month, our community life team hosts these social hours to just offer an opportunity to stick around a little longer after the service. I think it allows us to slow our Sunday afternoon down a little bit to maybe have a conversation with others that's longer than what you might be able to have in passing as you come or go. And our community just really values this time of coming together as an extended family for coffee, donuts and conversation. There's laughter and catching up and sharing. It's a really fun time. So I want everyone to plan to stay for social hour this coming Sunday at Oaks Parish.
1: That's a great way to uh, find ourselves socially at once again uh, after the pandemic.
0: Yeah, exactly. So hope to see you all there. All right. Yesterday we heard the word of the Lord from first Samuel chapter three. And this, I think is a fairly well-known section of scripture, the boy Samuel in the tabernacle, hearing his name called over and over and thinking it's Eli responding to him every time. Here I am until there's this realization that it's the Lord calling Samuel. And in this revelation from the Lord, Samuel then has to share with Eli that the priesthood under Eli will come to an end. So We're reading about a person, a young boy, no less, who had a really significant and unique encounter with God. And I think there could be a tendency to read this passage and see Samuel, this boy in the white robe who has surpassed the faithfulness of Eli's sons in the priestly ministry. And we read that he has encountered God. And then maybe we deduce that hearing from God is something reserved for the super spiritual, or perhaps it's something to attain or to strife or in our spiritual walk makes me think of some of the mystics who write about kind of more supernatural encounters with God. And I think we can read those and draw a line from their stories to this picture of some special spiritual attainment and hearing the voice of God. But is that true or how should we look at that?
1: Without a doubt, when we hear these stories about Samuel or other figures in scripture who had these supernatural encounters with the Lord, we think of these other Christian saints like Teresa of Avila, uh, who was in the convent of the incarnation. And it was there that she experienced uh, these visions of Christ amidst an illness. Very similar story with Julian of Norwich, English mystic of the 14th century. Uh, She too experienced these visions. I think it was 18 in all. Uh, Both of these women Went on to write about this experience, to record this experience. And perhaps we know about these encounters because these women were supported by patrons in their city, uh, as well as what would become the publishing industry. But on the other hand, how many farmers, factory workers, scientists, teachers, pick any vocation, any life calling, have experienced dialogue with God? And we just don't know about it because it never went to print. I think it's good to remember that theologically speaking, God is a person. And as a person who is divine, he's known to us by incommunicable and communicable attributes. Incommunicable attributes are attributes of God that we don't share with him, such as omnipotence or omnipresence or omni-anything. We're not omni-anything, but we do share communicable Attributes with him. And, and maybe it's different by degree, but we as human beings, just like God, experience things like love and mercy and judgment. And all, it's good to remember that God is a person. And as a person, he relates to us personally as persons do. <laughs> Therefore, uh, we should expect as human beings to have a living, breathing, communicative relationship with God, and that's what the gospel is all about, is that this relationship was broken, it's restored through the cross and the resurrection, and it's perpetually made possible because Christ intercedes for us in heaven as our great high priest of God's temple, and it's in him that we can always expect to hear from God and expect our prayers to be heard.
0: Yeah that's such an important reminder that all of us it's our privilege or our our right to have access to the word of the lord it's part of our relationship with him that we hear his voice so to get really practical with that then as we're digging in how have you experienced hearing the word of your of the lord in your own life like how does this actually look
1: yeah, what really struck me from this passage is that Samuel was immersed in this liturgical atmosphere of the temple. And by liturgical, again, I referenced this in the sermon yesterday, it's it's a work that the people of God uh, do together in worship for the greater good of society. And so Samuel is in the temple, He's he's going about this priestly work, this liturgical work so that all of Israel would benefit from it, from this connection with God. But that liturgical atmosphere, it was saturated in every way by God's word. And so I think that gives us a picture just about our relationship with God um, week in and week out, year in and year out. And there are times where God speaks to us in very mundane ways. Uh, This morning, I was reading Psalm 18, that was a part of the daily lectionary, and I sensed God speaking to me from the truth of his scripture. And one phrase caught my attention in particular, that the waves of death might encompass me, and that the floods would swallow me up, made me afraid, which is how I feel sometimes with various circumstances of life. But then the psalmist goes on, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, And so shall I be safe from my enemies. And I just felt in that moment, God saying to me, Brian, you're good. (laughs) I got you. Um, I've carried you through some difficult things. Um, I'm always working in the background. So I think it's fascinating the ways that God speaks to us primarily through his word in very mundane ways. I think, though, there are also times that God speaks to us in extraordinary ways. Maybe we don't have visions like Teresa or or Julian. But I think there are those pivotal moments in our life where God speaks to us, particularly about things of significance. You know, we might be in a season of prayer, um, trying to discern a job transition, or um, trying to figure out something relationally, uh, trying to figure out a move, something like that. Um, and God meets us in, in an extraordinary way. And we ended up telling stories about it, stories of his great deliverance, so to speak. One of those came to mind as I was thinking uh, about this uh, some years before we moved to Portland um, to begin the work of, of planting Oaks Parish. A- Amanda and I were in a season of discernment. We, we had been a part of a church in Atlanta Um, we were about four or five years into that church plant. It had become established. We were asking God questions of what's next. What do you want for us? And I had a week of study leave and Amanda and our kids packed their bags and they went to see our family. And I just stayed in our house uh, for that week by myself. And I just remember walking around our house and just praying and And part of what I was praying over is is where God would be leading us. And some years prior, um, we had a sense that God would perhaps one day call us to plant a church somewhere here on the West Coast. And that week in particular, um, in in a moment of prayer, God brought that vision um, back into full focus for me. And I sensed from that moment that we were to come to a place like Portland and plant a church like Oaks Parish, Uh, it would be some years before uh, that would be developed. But as a response to that moment, we began taking steps to follow God into that vision. And um, sure enough, here we are.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing both of those examples. Most of us may have at least, you know, one situation where we could look back over the course of our lives and see one situation that felt bigger, right? Where we needed direction, we needed insight or wisdom. And we sensed, you know, that we were hearing God's voice and in propelling us forward or guiding us forward or drawing us in. And then how many times also, though, do we just need a reminder of who he is and who we are? And those, those instances shouldn't be discredited either. Those are also very powerful to sit and through the word or through the spirit to be reminded of God's love for us or his, you know, his, his justice or his righteousness. Amen. So our first takeaway from this passage was this, the only thing keeping God from speaking into your life is your own resistance. And immediately I want to know, why are we tempted to resist the voice of God that's yeah. speaking in our own lives? Right away, I'm thinking it's our own desire or ego maybe that gets in the way of hearing God's voice. Perhaps we get forget even how good and beautiful and loving God's voice can be. I can think of times where what I sensed God was saying to me was too convicting or it would cause mm-hmm. me to lose too much control or to have to trust him too much. And so it felt easier to just resist that voice and go my own way rather than accepting that his voice will always eventually lead to more freedom, more flourishing. But we hear our own voice so loudly and we want our own way, even when God's voice will always be for our good. And on the flip side of that, I think that the voices from like the surrounding culture may seem like they're shouting, pulling us into their circle, you know, tempting us with power or prestige instead of the humility and trust that maybe God's voice would draw us in with. So while I think God certainly could use others to speak into our lives, it's like the third point you made that listening to the voice of God takes practice. So we need practice mm. to discern if what we're hearing from other voices is confirming the voice of the Lord or taking us farther away, Are our friends and family and coworkers and the media and counselors and other people that are speaking to us. Are they echoing the word of the Lord or are they uh, giving us cause to resist it? Basically, mm-hmm. does it sound like Jesus, or does it sound like the empire, or even like mm-hmm. the Pharisees?
1: Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great point. I mean, we have a number of biblical examples where uh, people they were even well intentioned, but they were trying to to speak into someone else's life, and it was actually in opposition to the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to your first point. Um, I think it's the Westminster Confession of Faith that describes our tendency toward a willful disobedience. And I I think there's something captivating about that phrase um, because it really kind of represents that we often just do what we want, you know, and we're, we're unwilling to trust God in the long game. Hmm. Uh, We're unwilling uh, to trust God that he is omnipotent and he, he does know what's best for us and he wants the very best for us. I would also add that, that part of what keeps us from, from hearing God in our life, and maybe this is almost like a passive resistance, but it's our busyness and the noise that we commit ourselves to in life. Um, being overcommitted uh, to various things. And then all of a sudden the voice of the Lord is just one of a number of voices or it's, it's crowded out of our life. Um, This in particular is why I put this quote in our worship guide this week from Julian of Norwich from revelations of divine love. She says, Lord, let not our souls be busy ends, That have no room for thee or thine, but quiet homes of prayer and praise, where thou mayest find it fit company, where the needful cares of life are wisely ordered and put away, and wide, sweet spaces kept for thee, where holy thoughts pass up and down, and fervent longings watch and wait thy coming.
0: Yeah, training our heart and our ears to hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of all of the other noises and distractions and the busyness, the pull towards that rather than to sit quietly with the Lord and to attune our heart to his voice. Mm -hmm. So if it's our resistance, that's keeping us from hearing the voice of God and it takes practice for us to hear it. What do we do when it feels like God is silent we may be seeking wisdom or an answer or direction and we're praying and we're listening, but we just don't seem to be hearing from God. Our tendency could be to think that God isn't hearing us or that he's angry with us and we don't know where we went wrong. But instead of going to that place of despair, if we think we're experiencing silence from God, how how can we think about this?
1: Yeah, It's a great question, and it calls to mind uh, the subject of our Abide Retreat uh, last spring. Our mentor, so to speak, our historic spiritual mentor on that retreat uh, was John of the Cross. And he says a lot about this uh, regarding silence and the place of silence in our relationship with God. Uh, He says, actually, that we hear from God in a lot of different ways at the beginning of our relationship with him. Uh, but once that relationship of trust and love is established, uh, we don't necessarily need to like hear from him all the time about these specific things and that silence isn't that God is somehow abandoned us or is angry at us, or we've done something wrong per se. But that silence, John says, is actually taking us to a deeper relational place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it reminds me of of the trajectory of marriage. Um, you know, when when a couple first begins dating, you know, they might drive out to the gorge, for example, to have lunch in Hood River, and the whole way they're just they're chatting it up. You know, they're talking, they're asking each other questions. Uh, there's a nervous energy in the air but then they get married and 20 years later they make that same drive out into the gorge and perhaps 20 years later it's a drive of silence because there's just this settledness uh it's not apathy but just a settledness and a trust in this relationship of love and knowing Mm -hmm. uh it's a mature love and so John would say, "That's that's really the kind of picture of of what silence is in our relationship with God." I think, obviously, in various ways, you, we still hear from God, but uh, silence shouldn't uh, scare us or make us afraid um, or worried, unless there is genuinely something that we're trying to to keep from God or hide from God. Um, but I think silence is a way that that we go deeper with God.
0: Hmm. So it's this. Settling in with him, basking in his presence, kind of, and just being loved by him, (laughs) being like enjoying, enjoying his presence without the need for all kinds of words and fillers and, you know, worrying about awkward pauses or things like that. It's just the settledness and knowing that, that we belong to him.
1: Yes, for sure. God's not chat GPT. It's not like we're just, our relationship consists of a transaction where we're just asking questions and within seconds, he's giving us answers. Yeah. This is a relationship with a real person who is God.
0: So again, this week, this passage pointed us to the centrality of the tabernacle and how our liturgy is the atmosphere for us to hear the word of the Lord. We've been talking a lot so far about how we hear the word of the Lord individually, but what about in the corporate sense? How did the two of those relate?
1: Yeah, I think this is something that we're currently grappling with, particularly in the American church in the wake of the reformation. You know, there was just such a, a radical break with Roman Catholicism during the Reformation uh, that moved us away from uh, corporate life in the church, so to speak, and toward individual practice. And yet, if we look at a passage like 1 Samuel 3, there's a false dichotomy between the corporate and the individual. Um, I heard a famous athlete, for example, the other day He said something to the effect of going to church is important, but you also need Bible study and regular prayer life and community with others. And, and all those things are true, but I think it's often in our current language, it creates a false dichotomy. And in my view, in Western Christianity, the pendulum has swung so far toward individualism that we can begin to believe that Christian faith is about me and my Jesus and I think this has resulted in some unhelpful tinkering in Christian practice. For example, a number of people today are rediscovering the ancient practice of silence and solitude. And these practices are especially helpful in the frenetic society and culture of our day. Yet, it's helpful to remember that these practices were done in the context of the church, the historic church, not outside of it. We find this practice with figures like Samuel, Jesus, Teresa, Julian. They're all carrying out this practice of silence and solitude from within the church. Hmm. So this corporate and by corporate, I mean the, the Sunday morning liturgy um, how it relates to individual practice. I think is something like our solar system. The planets exist because the sun gives them life, so to speak, earth, Saturn, Mars fail to exist as planets without the life-giving empowerment of the sun, So to use that analogy, the Sunday morning liturgy is the life-giving power for individual practice, whether that be Bible reading, prayer walks, meditation. I think those practices lose their meaning when they lose their mooring. Hmm. Samuel heard from the Lord in the atmosphere of the liturgy in the temple.
0: Yeah, when I think about the different parts of our liturgy specifically, too, in light of what you're saying, I think about the prayers of the people that we pray together, together, we're bringing the concerns of the community, the city, the Mm -hmm. world before the Lord, and we're saying, God, will you speak to us about these things? Not just will you fix them, but will you show us how to be a part of of your hands of justice and righteousness and peace in these things? And from there, we touch different areas in our lives, in our, in our everyday, you know, scenarios and settings, but together we've practiced this, this rhythm and this understanding of going before the Lord and laying our concerns there and asking for his voice to speak to us.
1: Yes. These things, the individual and the corporate are are designed by God to work in synergy, not in opposition.
0: I'm so glad we had this conversation today. And as we wrap up, I'm reminded of these two questions that we asked last year in my discipleship group. Every single week, whatever we read, our, our leader always asked us to consider these two things. Number one, what is God saying to you? And number two, how will you respond? And I think those are the perfect questions for us each to pray through and consider as we continue processing this passage, particularly in how we're hearing from the Lord. One last word. Don't forget to submit your questions and your curiosities about first Samuel for our Q and a episode at the end of this month, you can submit those at oaksparish.org podcast up until September 26th. And then we will handle them in the episode on the 27th. So thank you for joining this conversation by listening and engaging on your own with your families and discipleship groups. And we'll look forward to digging into our next chapter of first Samuel next week.